an environment where they're not ever really able to be next to each other and close to each other. So I can see the power of the sea air and how that really helps. And so I know there's power in that and there's healing um, in that. COVID's hard enough. Can you imagine being a firefighter during COVID? Well, today we talked to Kane Johnson, waterman, artist, firefighter extraordinaire. He throws down lots of value bombs. What I liked about his journey is that he started out as a boogie boarder, turned into a supper, and eventually started surfing. So that's what I call the true evolution of man. Welcome, Kane Johnson. Hey, good evening, or good evening. Good afternoon, everyone. I am here with Kane Johnson. We're going to learn about Kane Johnson and um, as he, he calls himself a fish out of water, just like me. So welcome, Kane. Hey, thank you, Derek. Happy to be here. Really stoked to be on this podcast with you. So looking forward to uh, getting through some stuff together. Yeah, man. I And I want to say first and fo- foremost, thank you so much for being here and thanks for, you know, being out there. I know you're a firefighter and, um, you know, it's hard enough to be a firefighter during regular times. So I can imagine during COVID, it's it had some extra stress. So being getting in the water is probably more important than ever. Yeah, that is uh, my refuge, as I'm sure you can attest to. I'm sure it's not that too dissimilar for most of us that surf or be in the or get in the water. It's like that is the place where you just go to just forget about everything and kind of that's your mental health, your physical health, a little bit of everything wrapped into one. It really is. It's it's. I I feel sorry for anyone that doesn't surf or doesn't have water time because it's it gives so much. Uh, it's given so much to me in my life and. And I just encourage anyone out there that has been thinking about it and, you know, wants to live a life that is really full and and has so many um, dynamics and opportunities, you know, just being related to the ocean, it's killer. There's Mm -hmm. nothing like it. Oh, totally. hundred percent. Yeah, man. So you're in the OC, right? You in? Uh, are am. you in Huntington Beach or? I well, I work in Huntington Beach. I actually live in Rancho Santa Margarita, so I have a little bit of a commute to work, um, but not too oh, yeah. bad. And uh, yeah. yeah, it's beautiful out here. I love it out here. Did you grow up down there, or what? What was your what's your history? Yeah, so I kind of grew up all over the place. To be honest with you, I, I come from a divorced family, so um, I kind of spent time with my dad and then my mom. Uh, mostly. So I moved around a ton as a kid. Uh, most of my upbringing was in Costa Mesa and then San Clemente and then Santa Margarita. So those three, but I kind of moved, I was in Huntington for a little bit and Westminster, Laguna Beach, kind of, <laughs> you name it, it's all South County. And, yeah. Um, yeah. All over the place. But I spent kind of like San Clemente is where I really started to learn how to, you know, love the ocean and ride waves and that kind of thing. So yeah, I around awesome. six years old. Yeah. And so you're you're on the department at at Huntington State or they, so do they have a county there? Yeah, so we have the way it is in Orange County. There's about I think there's six uh, individual agencies, and the rest is Orange County Fire Authority. So we we happen to be our own fire department. So we have eight stations covering the city of Huntington Beach, and we run about twenty two thousand calls a year out of eight stations. So we're pretty steady, pretty busy. Um, wow. to recover a population of 200,000. And then of course, with the influx in the typical summer, you know, we could have, you know, half a million people in the city or more, you know? Yeah. 
Amazing. You know, I grew up down there, so I oh, my yeah. my old stomping grounds, Seal Beach, Sunset Beach, Huntington Beach, you know, back in the day. So this is, you know, 80s, 90s and it was a totally different place, bro. Yeah. I mean, you know, dirt lots and no, yeah. you know, no, no pay, no pay to park is just run across the street and jump in the water. Yeah. Um, it had a heavy vibe. I know in Huntington beach still kind of has a little bit of that vibe, but definitely it was a different story when you're talking the eighties, nineties and stuff. And kind of the same in San Clemente where I spent a lot of my summers with my dad and you know, growing up as a kid, same type of thing. It was a totally different place than it is now. You know, you look at it, wow, yeah, different vibe, yeah. So, tell tell me a little bit about your your water journey. You 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 uh, when you wrote in, you said you've you've had some um, iterations in how you've related to the water. So, I, I'd love to yeah. hear more about that. Yeah, I'm a, I have a kind of an unusual journey in the tra- you know the traditional sense. You know, a lot of people start off like as far as surfing is concerned as a kid and I did but I started off bodyboarding and kind of stuck with that for a very long time my first wave I remember I was six years old it was down on the north side of San Clemente Pier at Cabrillo just was like north of the lifeguard headquarters there and um, my dad pushed me into the wave I had like a, an Aussie like green kind of foam bodyboard that was all foam and it, i remember the deck was all ripped up and it would like shred my skin like my skin i had a big old rash and no you know, but i didn't even care as a kid like yeah. i could care less this is so fun and um and so i started doing that and then i just kind of got hooked right like and it just happened to be that that bodyboarding was kind of my thing and a lot of it had to do with money too it's a lot cheaper to bodyboard than to surf yeah. Um, and my, my parents didn't have a lot of money and then I didn't have a lot of support other than my dad, my mom and my grandparents had no idea what I was doing. They were fearful of the ocean in a sense, and they didn't really get it and support me. So it was just my dad and then me kind of figuring it out. And so, uh, I did that for many years, still do bodyboard. Um, but through the nineties, I competed, um, in local like pro-am contests. Um, wow. I had some, you know, those little sponsors kind of in the heyday in the 90s, kind of how surfing was in the 2000s, right? It was just like throwing money at everything, right? So the bodyboarding industry was a lot bigger back then. I, I never got paid necessarily, but I had some great sponsors, got free product and, you know, and just competed. I, I worked for um, a company called Alternative Surf, which is an all bodyboard store. They, they still mm-hmm. have one in Seal Beach. And wow, I worked and at the data still all bodyboard to this day? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So no, it was started really? by... Um, so the owner of Harbor Surfboards, Robert Housen, and his wife, Chris, um, they still own Harbor. They saw a need. They're like, hey, we need, there's no bodyboarding stores only, like nothing committed to strictly bodyboarding. At the time, you know, bodyboarding was getting really big. And so they decided, hey, we have this little shop across from Harbor Surfboards that's open. Let's, let's open up an all bodyboard stop, stop, uh, shop. And that was in 95. And then I... They opened up another one so well. They opened up another one in Dana Point um, off of uh, Blue Lantern, right off PCH there. And um, mm-hmm. and so they, like, that was in 97. It was a great time. It was incredible. It was a big boom in the industry. We had a cool little thing between, like, Infinity and us. Like, they had all the surf stuff. We had all the bodyboard stuff. So we would send people back and forth. You know, it was a really cool gig. That's um, yeah, and then so what I are the kinda, what are the main bodyboarding waves? I mean, I know the wedge is like the you know the creme de la creme, but what obviously you you know between bodyboarding and surfing, you 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 need a different you need a, 
a more ledgy wave, right? Yeah, yeah. So you're always looking to something different. Same thing with surfing. Like if you're longboarding or shortboarding, you're kind of looking for different waves. So yeah, similar in bodyboarding. And uh, so I ended up kind of like my stomping grounds ended up being Salt Creek back in the day. So we're out there right. mixing it up with Billy Brothers and Pat O'Connell and Josh Slay and Casey Curtis. <laughs> we have some heavy hitters down there surfing. Nice. And uh, we're like these bodyboarders and there's always this big, you know, battle between us. Um, and so we would kind of take over kind of the middles, gravels area and then gravels, of course, you know, it's just a heavier wave. And, you know, yeah. how Salt Creek is, it'll, you know, kind of mush on the outside, you know, sometimes break a little bit and then it just reforms. And that's when it gets all wedgy. And that kind of was our jam locally. And then we would also go down to uh, Strand Point in the summer and surf down there and that's a great little wedging break that's perfect for bodyboarding but it was heavily localized by surfers back then and yeah. we would get yelled at and like all kinds of like we'd be coming down the goat trail you know and and they you know surfers would see us you know a lot of the guys from killer dana and that area and they'd be like we're not shops and they would be like yeah they're beating it and we're like oh my god you were like 18 19 years old <laughs> I got some guy chased me on that, on that goat track. He had yeah. a shovel and he was oh swinging the shovel at me. Uh, Can you so believe? I was just a kid. I was like, you gotta be kidding me, dude. I just want to serve. Yeah. And I, I get it. Cause that's a little bit of a hidden spot. So of anywhere like to be localized compared yeah. to like Creek or something, that's a, definitely a better spot. One thing I remember about that place too, it was really funny. We used to always, we used to go out like a pink house. And come down or we go down the goat trail if there's a hole in the fence and go to the point directly but um i remember there's this guy i, I wish i <laughs> but he would constantly change down there completely nude he would go down there and he would he would nude up and and go out and like and change his wetsuit just free balling in front of everybody nice. what a weird place for him <laughs> this is so bizarre um <laughs> But yeah, oh, we would do that. And then there's like little spots in Laguna you'd go to. I mean, I, I'm not blowing away any secrets, but, you know, 10th yeah. Street's obviously a real popular spot. And then when the pier was at Aliso, when they used to have the pier, that place was our jam too. We would go out okay. there all the time. Yeah. They had such good sandbars with that pier. Now it's kind of changed quite a bit, but yeah. yeah so, yeah. The, gnar the gnarliest, you know, I've kind of traveled all around the world and I lived in uh, Rio in Brazil for a while. Oh, and yeah. dude, those guys, those bodyboarders down there, they would take off on the gnarliest waves I've ever seen anyone take off. I mean, just yeah. full balls to the wall, you know, yeah. like two, two inches of sand. It was, yeah, yeah super well, impressive. The, totally. And that's the interesting thing with bodyboarding. I've always kind of been curious about it because it, it's finally kind of gotten a little bit more respect than it used to have back in the day, but um, it's, it's such a unique place. It's a, it's a type of sport, I should say, that has uh, influenced a lot of surfing, right? It's like all the slab surf, you know, the bodyboarders were the ones that went out there and said, hey, this, this can be done. And we're going to just yeah. toss ourselves over the ledge. And then surfers are like, okay, I think we can go. Let's do it. Or they tow in or they whatever they try to do. And now, you know, they're out there doing them. And you look at all the errors and the sections that bodyboarders have been hitting. You're finally starting to see you know, surfers at pipeline hitting that end section, that perfect ramp at the end and doing errors yeah. after they come out of the barrel. That didn't used to happen very often. You know, bodyboarders would do it for years. So I never cool thought about influence. that. Bodyboarders were probably the first guys that were pulling errors, right? Before anybody tried it on a surfboard, those those dudes were doing it probably way before, I would imagine. Yeah, I mean, consistently, for sure. I mean, yeah. you definitely have guys like Christian Fletcher, you know, in the 80s launching and doing some crazy stuff. But as far as like being mainstream, that was one of the 
first things when bodyboarding came out and actually had a, a sterling slick bottom and a, a stiff enough core to be able to project, you know, guys were like launching off of sections, doing obviously the, the roll, the El Rolo is kind of the big thing, uh, but big straight airs, all that stuff was kind of the thing because, you know, you have to ride these heavier waves and be in the pocket and in that wave's energy source and, you know, you're laying down so you can kind of cushion yourself and fly out into the flats a little bit, you know, different than surfing. You're not going to break your ankles or knees like you would in surfing, yeah. you know, but yeah. Yeah, man. Impressive. That's cool. So then what was next? What was after bodyboarding? I, I, you're still bodyboarding, but you yeah. definitely, you had a transition, right? Yeah. Well, as I got older, I remember like 27 years old is the last time I, I bodyboarded the wedge. I'm 40 years old now. And I was like, I remember getting out of the water going, oh, I'm so beat up. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is freaking working me. And uh, so I was kind of like in this transition going, yeah, you know, I, I want to try something new. I want to get in there. And um, a few years later, come probably 2010, probably around there, um, is when kind of stand-up paddling started really taking off and started being like this huge deal right there's races all the time there's people starting to surf on them you know everybody's taking over the lineup it's kind of funny because i went from bodyboarding which surfers are like get out of here beat it coop to oh i'm gonna go and stand a paddle and they're like oh beat it <laughs> back and forth. Always, just, yeah, glutton for punishment dude you you're, know? you've always been on the outside that's good <laughs> yeah, like the that. fringe <laughs> i'm a fringe guy you know yeah but uh yeah so I, I started i got into that and i started doing the racing so I was like, oh, I want fitness. I want to do some fitness and I want to be on the water. So I got a 14-foot race stand-up paddleboard and I started doing all these races and stuff. And then I, I started getting kind of bored with that. I'm like, okay, I'm still bodyboarding and then I'm doing this paddling thing. But I go, I've always watched surfing. I've always thought it was fascinating. I'm like, what a cool thing. And now that I'm standing up, I'm like, well, geez, the stand-up paddle surfing thing is starting to be a thing. So yeah. let's try that. And so I, I decided, hey, I'm going to go get one of these boards and just give it a whirl and just go freaking get worked and humble myself. And, um, I got hooked immediately, just like I did when I first started bodyboarding and probably not too dissimilar to people that, you know, take their first wave surfing, you know, I'm just like, Oh my gosh, this is it. And it was weird. The weirdest thing was because I had all this knowledge and understanding of, you know, 20 plus years of wave riding, um, on a bodyboard and body surfing, but then I'm now standing on something now I'm like, okay, how do I get to that position on the wave? What do I need to do? You know, moving on the board back and forth and handling a paddle. It was all kind of unique to me, but it was all I knew for surfing at the time, right? Yeah. So yeah, I just started doing that and I progressed and progressed. And I was very, very fortunate. Um, I actually got hooked up with Hobie um, and Hobie stand-up paddle boards and Hobie Surf Shop have an ambassador program. And nice. so I got hooked into their ambassador program and I've been doing that ever since. So um, that led me to a, you know, an amazing time, which I'm still enjoying right now. Yeah. Those guys are, I like the guys at Hobie. They're good guys for sure. Oh, totally. Um, Back in the, you know, when I first started wave tribe, we, we did a lot of shop, you know, kind of selling to, you know, old school models, selling to shops and the shops Mm -hmm. would sell the gear. And and Hobie was always really good to me back in those days. So really stoked on those guys. Yeah. It's, it's been a while since now, you know, everything's kind of direct to customer in in my world. uh, And Mm -hmm. I like it better that way just because I get to, you know, I, I get to know the 
customers. I get to interact with the customer. I mean, like this, right? I, yeah. Like if you you picked up Wave Tribe through a shop, you probably wouldn't have this kind of connection with with no, the brand. No, no. So yeah, you know, it's a, it's a good way to go. And one it thing is. I was wondering, how was the transition from the the racing to the Wave? That that I mean, because it's kind of similar, right? But you're on a yeah. much bigger board, so you're on a you're on a 14 foot board, and then what kind of boards do you are you on now? So my well, so yeah, I go from a 14 foot board with a ton of volume. You're kind of high up out of the water. It's got full rails, and it's more narrow than your traditional surf stand up paddle surfboard. And that was uh, it was different because that's a big board to hog around, and um, it is tippy. You know, it's really kind of tough to paddle on to be honest with you the, the pros and the people that are really good make it look super easy um and they're riding so i was riding like a 29 inch wide board they're riding like 23 inch wide boards now when they're wow. on paddle like race boards it's amazing but um yeah so i went to uh, my first board was a 10 6 there's a paddle turf hawaii 10 6 and um and that was a great board i mean it was it was a perfect beginner board for me you know i'm, I'm 6 5 235 at the time, yeah, I was buddy. a heavier, so I'm a big guy, you yeah. know, and so it was, it was yeah. unique. I had to start off big, but now I've gone, I progressed all the way down. Now I'm riding an 8.8. It's a custom Whoa. OB board. Yeah, and it's it's like kind of got a blunted nose, so it's not a round, long board nose. It's not a sharp, pointy, like short board nose. It's kind of a hybrid, and it's, a, um, it's about 4.3 inches thick, 30 inches wide, but it weighs it probably only weighs 13 pounds, 12 or 13 pounds. It's really wow. light, um, and it surfs great. In fact, I surfed. I just got back from my surf Magnolia up in your neck of the woods today, and it was super fun. It was small, but it was great for for subsurfing. It was fantastic. Nice. But, um, yeah, so I progressed yeah. down to that, and then that kind of led me into surfing, traditional surfing. Now I've got this other new addiction. You know, <laughs> um, it's fascinating that I just picked up last year. Nice. And, and, and so, so what was that yeah. like? Now you're, you're, so you're going from bodyboarding to supping yeah. and now you're getting on, like, what was the first board you got on? Was it a fish or, or some oh, kind of hybrid Oh, no, board? it was a full, well, to be honest, it was really funny. It was, so in September of last year, I remember vividly, I go to San Onofre and I, I have my, the time I had a, a nine foot, um, it was real small, it was a nine foot uh, longboard type sup surfboard. And yeah, and so the waves were real tiny. I get to the beach I open the back of my truck and I go, oh man, I forgot my paddle. Great. You know, I'm, I'm 40 minutes from home or 30 minutes from home. Yeah. I'm like, this is not good. So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to try to surf. I'm like, I know what to do once I get up. And now just, I got to figure out how to get up. Let's like, let's do it. So I went out there and of course that board's really stable. So it's very forgiving. Wow. Um, and I was able to ride and I'm like, this is freaking amazing. This is awesome. Wow. So I was, uh, so I was hooked and I go, you know what? let's get a longboard, you know, let's, let's try, you know, I'm again, a big guy. I'm not afraid of big boards. I, I need a big board. I don't, volume is not scary to me. Right. And foam is not yeah. scary to me. So I'm like, let's get a big board. And I'm like thinking, okay, I don't want a hard board. I don't want to spend a ton of money yet. Let's make sure I'm into it. So I, I, uh, I have a friend, Chris Monroe, who's uh beef's official on uh, YouTube and stuff. He's with catch surf and all those guys. Um, nice. And he's a friend of mine from bodyboarding. He actually, we used to work together, alternative surf, and he's an incredible bodyboarder back in the day. Um, and uh, he, he works there and I go, Chris, you know, I, I'd love to get into a catch surf Odyssey log and nine footer. So uh, I went to the store, picked one up and took it out of Doheny on a pretty small day thing. And let's see how it goes. And instantly 
it was, I was hooked. I was like able to pop up and not great. I probably looked kooky, but I felt amazing. And then once I got up, I was like, oh, this is it. So I've now progressed down to the smallest board in my quiver is an eight, six, but it's a tiny one. I can duck dive. So it's real nice. thin. It, it's really light. It's a Hobie. Um, they don't make it anymore. It's kind of like a one-off thing that they made with like a one pound EPS foam and they have the, the vector net cover like they do on the set boards. And it's super yeah. light, no stringers. And uh, it's like an eight, six. So um, yeah. So I ride that. I have anything from a 10 foot to eight, six. And I'm like, I think I'm cool staying there because my stuff is my high performance board when it's, pumping and it's big and you know it's punchy then I, I get on the sup and i can rip, rip around like a shortboard on that and then right when I'm, i'll ride the regular you know any type of surfboard so so it's interesting in the whole like i'm surprised you know when you were bodyboarding you didn't have a buddy it was like hey dude here's a surfboard why don't you try to surf for the day like you it seemed like you perfected these different stages of your life and then you you know you evolved to the next thing whatever yeah. you know you were maybe bored with or wanted yeah. another challenge i mean that's the beauty oh, yeah. of surfing right it's always challenging you i mean i've been yeah. surfing my whole life and every day i go out it's still like learning, you know, I'm still learning stuff. Oh yeah. You're always trying to get better. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. and you have so many opportunities. I, I, I've never been one for peer pressure. And so I, it's kind of one of those things I had people say that, Oh, you should try surfing. You should do this, you should do that. And I'm like, yeah, but I like what I'm doing. I, I get content real easily. Like I'm like, I'm really enjoying bodyboarding. This is super fun. And then it just takes something to kind of maybe make that different. And for me, it was like, Oh, I'm getting older my body kind of hurts a little bit more by doing this. What what can I do to kind of stay out there? And that's real similar for a lot of people um, that switch from you know traditional surfing to stand up paddle surfing, right? Because like, oh man, it's my neck, my back, my shoulders. You know, I need to try something new. And I think the the hardest thing for most people, I feel like, you know, this is just my opinion, because uh, I kind of had it too, was your pride. And I think that's yeah. what keeps people from going to bigger boards or trying a sup board or whatever, or bodyboarding or whatever it is, because when you're good at something, especially as an adult, you don't want to try again because now you have this pride and this ego and you don't look like a coot, right? Versus a kid, you don't even care. You're just out there having fun. Dude, so, you nailed it, man. I mean, yeah. keeping that childlike attitude towards life is, is I think one of the most valuable things that we can either learn or relearn because, you know, our ego gets in the way or we just, you know, we, we want to look good in, in the eyes of others. And yeah. that never leads to happiness, bro. That always no, leads never. to just misery. And, you yeah. know, as soon as nobody's looking, you know, you're bummed and you're yeah. wishing you were doing something else. So you nailed yeah, it. Yeah, totally. And it, it's yeah. so much more fun if you can just just go out and just have a fun time. And that's kind of where I'm at and what I'm doing. And, you know, even mm -hmm. like with bodyboarding, I would find, you know, you get to this point and you probably experience it surfing, I'm sure, where, you, you know, you're you're good, you're doing stuff, you're able to do maneuvers, you know, people would consider you, you know, a good bodyboarder, a good surfer or something like that, right? And you're, so you're like, you put all this pressure on yourself, and especially when you start competing. And if you go out and you just have a bad day, like your timing's off, you're just not able to pull anything, I would find myself getting pissed. <laughs> I'd be like, yeah, dude, and sure. I'm like, well, this isn't a fun feeling. I don't like feeling like this when I'm out here that's not the purpose of this so that kind of makes me think a little bit then it makes me kind of go well I've tried something new and right now with the, the longboarding thing or, or just surfing in general I, I don't care if it's small or tiny and I'm like oh let's just go have fun I'll sit on the inside at old man's while everyone's 
fighting for stuff on the outside and I'll just kind of cruise down the line and, you know, yeah. play around the board, try to walk across it and not, and just follow and <laughs> do whatever. Yeah. And it's fun. I'm like, let's go. So yeah, I, I, I got to get you on a mini Simmons, bro. You're going to, you, when you get on one, you're going to love it. You know, it's funny you it. say that. Cause I had a buddy, we were out at uh Samo and he, he's a big guy like me. He's a retired fireman that I, um, I worked with in Huntington and uh, his name's Tom Wilson. He's a great guy. And he, uh, I was on my 10 foot longboard and he had a seven, three fish. And he goes, Hey, try this board out. And I'm like, yeah, you want to try this 10 foot? I go, I'll try yours. I go, I don't think I'm going to catch anything. And it was small, you know, and it was at the time smallest board I ever wrote. And I freaking popped up on it and it wasn't great, but I was like, I can't believe I can pop up on this thing. You know? <laughs> so I'm like, geez, it made me think a little bit. Yeah. Be fun Bro, to write a smaller board. I'm, I'm telling you they're magic. There's, um, so I'm, I'm six foot, like, 190 195 depending on how much beer i've been drinking but um <laughs> yeah. and my my board's a 54 bro my my is a 54 and i have in my quiver i've got a 51 and a 56 so you'd be Jeez. amazed how how short you can go on those things i mean it's super wide it's you know 22 and a half oh, something perfect. like that yeah, yeah super super wide a lot of volume mm-hmm. um but you know, if, you know, for someone like you, your size, like a five, eight, I would go maybe, Jeez, but anyway, we'll, we'll, get you on, we'll get you on one. We'll definitely I've get you on one. I've got to try it. Yeah. Cause it, it sounds fascinating. Cause for me, what I've noticed is my width on the, on all the boards. Like I haven't gone below 23. I don't think yeah. much because of my shoulders. It's like, it feels more comfortable and I don't do like the staggered pop-up where I've got, you know, my lead hand kind of forward and my backhand back a little bit. Um, so it's kind of weird to be kind of in. So I look at guys that ride like an 18 inch wide or, you know, 19 inch wide board. Oh, God, how do they do that? Like yeah. I'd be like super in there. It'd be weird to pop up on that thing. It's crazy. But, yeah. Yeah. That'd be yeah. fun. Yeah. I, you know, I know guys love, it. I see people ripping around those things. And I go, God, they look uh, so they're, they're, they changed my whole surfing experience for sure. Is that what you ride mostly? Like, I it mean, seems like it's not, good for that kind of conditions around. You know? Yeah. I, I always say ride the, ride the board that the wave dictates yeah. so you know i definitely always have a mini in the car but i usually have a like a hybrid board unless it, unless there's if the swells cranking then i you know i ride like a a short board a regular you know five ten short uh, robert's mm-hmm. short board mm-hmm. um but you know it's got a little more volume maybe in the front than when i was younger i still yeah. love short boards i mean when it's cranking dude it's nothing like just you know cranking yeah. the bottom turn hitting the hitting the lip and well, that's, but yeah. for yeah. for 80 80 of the days the mini's the call you know yeah oh it sure yeah. seems like it for sure it yeah. they don't seem like a struggle you know i see guys like even today you know they had a little bit of power i mean for how small it was but there's people shortboarding i'm like god this seems like a lot of work you know it seems like geez ride something yeah. a little bit more volume you can kind of rip around on and you know it seems more fun than trying to force the shortboard to work its magic and it's magic. Kind of yeah. I mean, remember yeah. when we were kids right we had one board and like oh yeah you had you had to ride that board no matter like you know yeah. you with the ripped uh deck on the yeah. body board you, yeah. no matter what it was you rode it, it and yep yeah that was just the way it goes but you know like that's one of the nice things about having a little more money and you know a couple more toys in the quivers you can totally uh, make that kind of call, but uh, yeah, yeah I, was look, I, I was looking at your Instagram feed, and and I wanted to transition to your art, bro. I really <laughs> love what you're doing. Tell I want tell me because it seems like it's kind of a new thing for you. What was that yeah. like, and and how did it come about? 
that's um, pretty cool that you did that and saw that yeah thank you um yeah that was weird it's something i've i've kind of done uh, i used to do a little bit and it was mostly like wave drawing some simple stuff and then yeah. actually um you know when quarantine happened i was like okay you know still some time and especially when the beaches were closed i didn't have an e-bike at the time it's hard to get places you know so i'm like all right well let's do something you know that kind of preoccupied me a little bit and what i i did is i um, first, I really started, to be honest with you, uh, Drew Brophy has a Brophy Art Academy and okay. um, online, and he has this cool package deal where you can get these paint pens, uh, Posca paint pens, and you get a whole set. And then in this set, you get um, a link to like an online tutorial for three different lessons that teaches you how to draw like flowers is one, and you do like a tiki guy, and then you do like a fish character yeah you got all yeah. these things and you've got pencils everything all in this one package and then he started doing um he started doing uh like live paint parties for free during quarantine yeah. he's gonna start picking them back up again and so you just go and kind of learn how you know his process and how to use the paint pens how to blend colors and i got really hooked and there's some artists i follow on social media um that do like joel vickers um able arts um bunch of people that have some like jay alders is another guy that i i really yeah. like and they do some cool art and so i was like you know i just want to draw waves and kind of let my imagination run wild and um yeah, yeah so it was again one of those intimidating things right because it's new and you're like right I don't you gotta know put what out to the, the rough ones in the beginning but totally. that's part of the journey yeah, yeah. And, and you got to just be free with it. I think that's one thing that Drew would teach you in like these classes is in you know, these online free parties. He would be like, just be free. Like realize it, it doesn't have to be perfect. He goes, nothing in nature is perfect. So whatever your interpretation is, is what it is. And, you know, people are going to see it for what it is. And the biggest thing is you, you're going to see it. That was what came out of you. That was your creativity. And I'm like, oh, that's freeing. So then it become, became less stressful and more fun. So yeah. now I just kind of doodle around and sketch and come up with ideas. And are you using the pens mainly now? Or? I, yeah, yeah, I'm using yeah. Um, I'm using the paint pens. I've got a couple different sets. Uh, I'm also going to try to transition and get some markers too, uh, yeah. just for stuff that's on paper. Because I have a sketchbook, and sometimes it's kind of fun. The paint pens don't work really well on that, so they work better on like a hard surface or glossy surface or yeah. you know, like you know whatever paint boards that kind of stuff um but yeah a lot of it too is just sketching I, I do enjoy the process of just taking a pencil and just kind of sketching stuff so how yeah, about you yeah. do you ever have you ever gotten into that at all I mean I do I actually yeah I've I've been in and out of art for my whole life and um I paint well I make surfboards so that's that's definitely art uh, I shape but oh, I also um I I paint with oils and acrylic and Ooh. and I saw your stuff and it's we're kind of similar. You know, I like obviously I'm a surfer, so there's you know, every room I think in our house has one of my my wave paintings in it. My wife is like, dude, what are you doing? Another wave painting. <laughs> <laughs> you know? But um That's yeah, dude, I think, yeah. you know, it, you know, life's about creativity, bro. I mean, surfing is active creativity, what I call. Mm -hmm. And you know, there's nothing like just creating something from nothing. And yeah, dude, it's like one of the gifts that we've been given in this life is, is to be creative. So I, you mm -hmm. know, I totally encourage anyone, you know, just whatever it is, fi find out how you can express that. 
Yeah. You know, whether it's markers, drawing, painting, surfboard making, you know, podcast, writing, mm-hmm. you know, whatever it is, like the more you create in life, the happier you'll be. Is my, oh, is my 100%. Opinion. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a good distraction from the world. It's, it's using your imagination and it's expanding your imagination, you know, coming up with these things. And, and you never know how that's going to influence other people, uh, you know, uh, in different ways or whatever that might be. And, and you might create something that's just this magical thing. Who knows, right? If you stifle yourself, then you'll just never know. And that's kind of a waste potentially. Um, Absolutely. So yeah, I, I really enjoy that. It's, it's fun to do. I wish I did it more because I'm kind of a perfectionist. So it's kind of, it's hard for me to sit down and then, and then not finish what I'm doing. And so sometimes that takes time as you know, by doing stuff, you know, so I I have to really be intent when I do it and kind of go, okay, I'm going to sit, this is my art day. It's my art time. I'm going. Yeah, that's good. I think it's good too, to uh, like, I've, I've done a couple of longer pieces lately that I probably wouldn't have done, you know, before COVID just cause you know, I'm running to the beach back and forth and all over. Mm-hmm. And you know, some of the longer pieces that have taken me days to do, they're pretty cool. Like they, you know, there's, there's just more complexity in them. And yeah. um, there are pieces that I wouldn't normally do just because they take so much longer. Yeah. You know? So and do you find like that you, you have like an idea when you start it and then if you have to come back to it, like your creativity is different and you might add absolutely. something. Or see, yeah. Yeah. That's absolutely. Cool. Yeah. And what like I like that. to do, and I've been doing this since I was a kid is I'll, I'll make a line on, on the page uh-huh. and then I'll make something out of that line. So I'll do, just do yeah. a random, like a random line and then it'll turn into, you know, whatever it does. Yeah. Just freehand um, and just see where it goes. Yeah, it's pretty That's cool. Beautiful. Yeah, I see that a lot with some of those people. You know, you see a lot of stuff on YouTube or, or whatever it might be, and people are doing crazy art and they're moving all fast and like I don't know what they're drawing, and all of a sudden it just starts taking shape and it's someone's face or <laughs> something crazy. Yeah. Like, how did you get that from you know? I know. From, from starting off of just splutter on the on the page, it's amazing. Yeah, so, love that stuff. Cool, man. Yeah. So let's, uh, I just wanted to kind of round up with, uh, you know, what it's like being a fireman during all this, bro. And, and, and and if you have any, um, well, two things actually, right when all this started, I, I, I really researched COVID and the water, like what, whether it could live in salt water, because obviously I wanted to surf no matter what, you know, they were, they were closing the beaches up here in Ventura and, um, you could still bike in. So I was biking in almost every day and, but you know, it was still early days and mm-hmm. everything I, and I put a pretty extensive article on, on this and I looked at the science and, and Surfrider did their scientists actually did a really good piece on it. And basically they, they didn't think that it could live in salt water, which that was a good sign. But obviously if you're like, dude, sometimes I look at the cam at the Huntington beach pier, mm-hmm. there's no way those guys are six feet away from each other. Those guys yeah. are all paddling on top of each other. Oh right? yeah. Yeah. Like, no way. Bro. Yeah. Totally. Well, just, you know, um, what would you say to that? And then just, you know, what's your experience kind of being in the field and, and what's that like these days for you? Um, well, yeah. yeah. I mean, so I'll answer your first part of that question is kind of what, what my experience is with the, you know, the salt water and the effects of COVID on that. Um, and obviously I'm not an expert. I'm not a scientist by any means, um, but I have, you know, I've done some stuff with uh, Maliola and, um, and, you know, they obviously have that connection with cystic fibrosis. And it's kind of one of those unique things where the salt air 
um, is allowing these kids and these people with cystic fibrosis to actually be able to breathe and actually be able to, you know, exert energy and also be close to each other in, in an environment where they're not ever really able to be next to each other and close to each other. So I can see the power of the sea air and how that really helps. And so I know there's power in that and there's healing um, in that. And so I kind of look at it and go, well, you know, with the ocean, a couple of things of this COVID thing, you know, is it's like you, you got, all you can really do is limit your risk and limit your exposure. And, you know, outside in the ocean, you have the ability to be away from people. Now, obviously, if you're packed in a, you know, in a tight knit group and, you know, by, by the pier, it's kind of tough. But um, I think it's it, it, because of the wind, the waves, the salt air, all that combination, I think helps break it all down, right? I think being outside in the elements, it's a little more comforting if you're around people and this is going on just because it doesn't not concentrated, right? Once it expels, yeah. if someone happens to have it near you and it goes out, it's immediately starting to break apart, um, especially in the wind and, you know, everything like that. So you do feel more comfortable. So I hope that there is some benefits and, you know, we, they haven't really been closing the beaches to surfing per se as much as they were before. So it feels like maybe they're more confident in it or else they would be closing the beaches more, you know, um, yeah. if they thought there was something real significant with uh, being exposed while you're surfing and that kind of thing. As far as being a firefighter in this, it is definitely unique. Um, I've been firefighter for 15 years. <clears throat> so I've seen, you know, I've been doing it for a while and seen a lot of different things and, one thing we're used to is, is change and being dynamic and making the best of every situation and adapting to stuff. And we're, we're always um, used to, or we're trained, I should say, into these, in these pathogens, right? And these infectious diseases. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's always around. We've been through Ebola and swine flu and bird flu, all these different types of flus and West Nile. And, you know, so we're always talking about it and there's always these effects. This is the most significant, of course. And so we've had to make a lot of changes for sure because um, we have to protect ourselves or else we can't help others. And yeah. so we've seen some crazy stuff like we're on calls. We're only allowing, you know, one paramedic to go in and assess uh, the patient. We're basically treating everybody as if they have COVID until proven otherwise. So they go in, they assess the patient, take a temperature, you know, talk about some of the symptoms and then um, typically do everything by themselves and limit exposure. So the rest of us are outside unless it's an acute call, like you know, cardiac arrest or a drug overdose, you know, someone's unresponsive, you know, stuff like that, where we all get in there. And if that's the case, then we're all wearing gowns, we have goggles, masks. And, um, you know, at the beginning of this, this was, everyone's all fearful and we had it really locked up and we're good for a few months. And then when everything reopened, uh, we started having positive cases in the department and then in surrounding mm -hmm. departments. And it was very interesting because um, we did so good. We had zero for three months. Wow. And as soon as things opened up and you start seeing them pop up and we've had probably six or eight positive cases out of 120 personnel. So not a ton, but a ton yeah. considering that, you know, it happened in a few weeks versus three months of nothing. Yeah. And so same thing with other agencies and so we've had to lock it up because there's a big fear, right? If we all start getting sick, then our whole workforce goes down. So we tighten things up. We're wearing masks all 24-7, basically, unless we're eating or we're sleeping. We're basically wearing wow. masks around the station and wow. um, all day long. And, uh, like, the crews aren't eating together. So, like, if you have a station as a truck company, an engine company, an ambulance, um, 
we're not allowed to eat together unless you're on that crew. So the engine can eat together, the truck can eat together, and the ambulance can eat together. So that's either eat in shifts or go out to eat and take it somewhere else and go sit and eat somewhere else. So it's kind of a yeah. weird deal. Um, Aren't you guys sleeping in the same room? Yeah, that, so we, we yeah. do. We do have different, well, with exception to one, one station has an open style dorm. Uh, okay. The rest have individual dorms. So we're at least okay. able to kind of, you know, isolate a little bit that way. But yeah, it's weird, you know, because everyone's, there's the balance not to get, you know, it's not, I'm not going to get political, but I mean, people with things opening up, you know, people are taking more uh, liberties out there and, and yeah. we're still kind of like, well, we're seeing increases. So we're still locking down and, but it's weird because we're locked down at work, but then in our personal lives, we're surrounded by everybody that's kind of, some people treating it like it's normal. Some people treating it like it's serious right. and everything so, in between. Yeah. So, so those, guys that, that, those guys that got it, they may have, you know, got it off duty. Right. And then brought it back with them. Yeah. That's the theory because on duty, we're very tight, you know, we're very yeah. strict and we're, you know, we, we definitely come in contact with COVID positive patients, uh, but we're wearing the proper PPE, you know, all that stuff. So yeah, typically it seems like it's, it's just, you're getting it off duty from whatever activities or people you're exposing yourself to and, yeah. and then bringing it back to the station unknowingly, you know, and, you know, but it's what it is, you know, where you can only go, you only do so much before your brain, your mental health goes oh, away, yeah. you know, and you got to have some sort of sense of normalcy. So I think I get why people are taking more risks, you know? Absolutely. And what do they do with all the used PPP? Do they burn it or do they throw like, is it like toxic waste? Yeah. No, How is that treated, um, you know, yeah, it, it'll get tossed, um, uh, thrown away, and it's not necessarily treated because it, uh, it's not like a bloodborne pathogen or anything okay. like that. But we will red bag it, um, and we will we can send it to the hospital, and they can they can dispose of it uh, appropriately. So, um, and that's not it depends on the exposure. You know, if if you're doing a treatment that's what we call an aerosolized treatment or something where you're going to be atomizing the air of the patient's air you know, whether yeah. it's certain medicines yeah. or your breathing forum or something like that, then that exposure is greater and there's a chance of it getting on your, on your PPE. But if it's someone that, you know, if you're with somebody that has COVID and they're kind of just talking, we put a mask on them right away, you know, all that stuff, so you limit the exposure. So it's not as, as crazy, but yeah, if you think there's something, then you just put it in a red, what we call a biohazard bag and you would just dispose of it properly. Uh, but right. most of the time it's, it's not necessary, you know, um, yeah. you can reuse some of the they, PPE. I wonder what they, how they dispose of that stuff. I'm just, just curious, you know, especially from an environmental standpoint, what like, yeah. Yeah. It, it, so it, as far as I, I know, it goes to yeah. bio waste facility. Okay. And typically um, there might be other processes, but I know, for sure, um, one of the processes is just to incinerate. Yeah, so that's makes just sense, right? Yeah, Either. just to get rid of it completely. Um, and there yeah. might be other things like they could maybe they can soak it in some chemical or some, I don't know what they'll do, but um, but definitely they dispose of it properly. It's nice that we have that, you know, in the United States um, that we have ways to to do that and take care of it instead of just throwing it out in the streets and whatever yeah. or into a landfill or you know exposing other people, but. Yeah, it's it's a scary time. I mean, how are you handling it yourself? I mean, gosh, it's 
I mean, it's easy for me because I mean, I'm exposed to it. I, I'm used to this kind of stuff, even though it's yeah, tough, it's but. tough, bro. I mean, I I usually travel a lot, you know, mm. and and I haven't been out of the country since all this went down. Oh, so yeah. that's one major change. You know, I do a couple of surf trips a year, and um, those are off, you know, off the books. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, and I don't see as many people, and you know, I surf with a kind of handful of friends and. You know, I try to limit the exposure and, yeah. you know, haven't been, you know, going to the pub or eating out or, you know, it's yeah. just a whole different kind of, it's solitude, yeah. bro. Yeah, for you sure. Know, we, we actually just went up to Yosemite uh, last week. Oh, nice. And Yosemite's doing something interesting is they're, they're limiting the amount of people that are going into the park. Mm-hmm. So you you actually have to get a reservation and it's kind of like a, a rock ticket. You know, when you yeah. try to get those popular yeah. rock tickets, they release them and they're yep. gone in two minutes. Yeah. You're like Dude, waiting like in line. It, or, yep. Yeah. It's like, it's like that. Right. But it's all on the internet. So you oh, have to go and, and you have to get the reservation. If you don't have the reservation before you get there, they don't yeah. let you into the park. Right. Oh yeah. So, so, we did end, end up getting one, which was cool. It took us three days, you know, up at like seven going, okay, we got to go to the computer. Yeah. Um, but we got them. And then the one nice thing I have to say is, dude, nobody's up there. Like, because they're limiting, because it's so hard to get the reservations, it, there was, it was just empty. Oh, which, man. What you know, an experience. Any, yeah. Anytime you can be in nature and, and not be around a bunch of bozos, it's always good. <laughs> Right. So, right. Um, what, how are the animals? Are there a lot more animals around? There, there are a lot more animals. Yeah. yeah. And from you know, kind of what I heard in the on the internet's too. Like everyone's posting all these pictures, and they can't believe all the bears are seeing. Yeah, like the animals are coming out in groves. I we went on this one hike. We were all alone for like four hours, and. I, I felt like I could feel them, you know, you could feel them yeah, kind of yeah. stalking you, yeah. uh, you know, <laughs> looking over, you know, cause it gets serious. We were in the upper part and it gets serious up there with the yeah. bears and the outlines and stuff. Oh yeah. I, I laugh because people will say, I'm sure they've said to you too, where it's like, aren't you afraid of sharks and stuff? And I go, I sure stand over a lot. And I've had some shark encounters out there, like under my board, right next to me, all the stuff, the juvenile great whites, right. When those were a big thing. All and yeah, it happens. And so I go, I go, yeah, I go, I am, but I go, I'd much rather deal with a shark attacking me than like be in the wild with a bear or something. Cause the, the bear, you'll see it, you'll see it coming. You'll have this fear of like, oh my gosh, and try to outrun it. And it's just this horrible thing. I'm like, a shark will sneak up on you. They say do the courtesy of just blasting you out of nowhere and you're, you just have to deal with it, you know? Like, uh, yeah. So I'm like, that's much yeah. better. Yeah, I was thinking about the mountain lions too, right? Because yeah. those dudes, those dudes are like sleek. Because they're sleek, yeah. and you know, they you probably no won't even see those things. They'll be like a shark; no. you won't even see them coming. They're oh just, yeah, they'll just jump you know, out of nowhere, jump sure. out and put their claws around you. But uh, it's all good. We made it back. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's so cool. Um, I know you go to Mexico, and um, uh, you know, reading up on on wave tribe and everything. And I'm like, yeah, and I, I do the same thing. I've been the last five or six years. I've been driving down to the tip of Baja and back, um, and Love do like a two week trip and oh, it's mm-hmm. so fun. And like, I'm yeah. kind of mourning like you are with traveling. Like I was supposed to go in May and it didn't happen. I'm not sure if it's, I might write it off this year and just kind of go, Hey, let's just reset. But um, I yeah. love it down there. It's a magical place. You've spent more Absolutely. time than I have down there and I'm already hooked. 
you know, well, dude, keep, me, keep me in the loop on your trips. We can hopefully correspond one of these times because that'd be rad. Yeah. Usually yeah. Be May, May seems to be really good for me. I've May, dude, anytime you name yeah. it, I'll go. <laughs> I love um, it. Fact, the podcast before this one, I just dropped it today is my buddy went down uh, three weeks ago during COVID on that South swell. Oh, lucky. So the podcast is about him um, traveling during COVID and getting mm-hmm. down there to empty surf, which, you know, totally jealous about his trip and I was supposed to go dude. And I just, I couldn't pull the trigger out. You know, I was like, oh, I can't do it. You know? <laughs> yeah. Um, then yeah. I saw the pictures and I was like, Oh, well, it was a risk. Yeah, like, uh, Colin McPhillips, you know, he's he used to ride for Hobie and stuff like that. And, you know, so I, from my ambassador time with him, I got to know him a little bit and, and he goes down there all the time. He's just like you, he's like, Colin, where do you go? Just I'll, I'm in. And he'll just pull the trigger right away. Yeah. He dude. went down. At the same time, he was probably down there with your buddy. He was at Scorpion, and oh, okay. he said, yeah. "Yeah, they scored." But he said it was weird because there was still a vibe of like, "Hey, you can't really surf, but you can, but you can't," you yeah. know. And it's like, "Ooh, that's kind of that'd be a bummer to get down there and kind of have all these waves and not be able to do anything." Oh, dude, it suck. I mean, yeah, it's, yeah it'd be crazy. Yeah, I mean, Scorpion's out there though, so I don't, I can't imagine the police are going to be rolling up on you at Scorpion. But totally, you never but know. Yeah, he said they were like relatively consistently. Like they would say, "Hey, you know, go out and we'll be back here like eleven or whatever." Just yeah, just know when we're going to be by. I'm like, whoa, you really had to play the game, kind of like we would here. Uh, but yeah. weirdly, like you said, because it's so off the beaten path. But I don't know, they're taking it serious down there, so which is good, but. Little yeah. green goes a long way down there, though. So, sure. they, you know, a couple twenties, they probably would have been fine. Oh, yeah, you know, you're right for sure. It's, it's, a, it's oh, a good man. and a bad thing about down there for sure. Exactly. Yeah, it is definitely. Is you. Awesome, man. This has been a great podcast. I really appreciate you coming on here. I've, I've enjoyed getting to know you, man. And let's yeah. uh, let's do it again sometime and and catch God, up and you. go deeper on. On some of our trips, maybe we can talk about Max and places to go and compare notes or something like that. Oh, I would love to do that, Derek. It's super fun. It's an honor to be on here. I mean, I don't get this attention very often. It's super cool to be able to be on here. And you're a great interviewer. I appreciate uh, oh, the way you, you kind of navigated this. It was super cool. And uh, you being up in Ventura, I'd love to get up there. I, used, I usually do like a fun little day or two trip and kind of cruise up and come. I work my way back down. So I'd love to hook up with you and surf up there. Dude, uh, absolutely. Well, let's wait till a little swell is happening and I'll, yeah. I'll show you around up here and we'll we'll grab a beer and um, distance beer, of course. And yeah, then, for uh, sure. You on your way. I love but, it, Yeah, Derek. dude, absolutely. I'll, I'll ping you my, my dats and I think you got them already, but um, we'll, uh, yeah, keep me in the loop for, for any trips up here. And and there's another jewel up the coast. I don't know if you've been to Halama, but oh, Halama yeah. is insane, dude. Yep. It's one of my favorite all-time waves. And it's only oh. an hour from here. So oh, I love yeah. it. I've never been. I've just seen it and all. That would be oh. so cool to do. Yeah. I would love it. There you go. Sure. That's the awesome. trip. That's the trip we gotta do, bro. Okay. <laughs> Sounds good, Derek. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, that's COVID friendly too, right? It's right up the street. So of course. Yeah. yeah. Totally. hundred percent. <laughs> Cool, brother. Thanks, Kane. You're welcome, Derek. You take care. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. You, man. Later. All right. Bye. Thanks again for checking out our podcast. Check out wavetribe.com for some excellent eco surf gear. And please stay tuned for some great upcoming episodes. Have a great day.